You have to come from the dream. Well, what does that mean? You have to come from the dream. You have to really start acting the dream and you have to start really being it now. Hello, I'm Elizabeth Ribbons, your host for Next, a podcast dedicated to telling relatable stories that inspire a fluid approach to life, purpose, and to navigate change. Welcoming Barbara Doust, who is an acclaimed success coach, author of True Love, True Self, A Journey to Self-Love, and inspirational speaker. Hi, Barbara. Hi, Elizabeth. She helps entrepreneurs and business owners take their business to the next level by playing a bigger game. She shows them how to rewire their brains and reprogram their minds so that they can say goodbye to procrastination, perfectionism, and low self-worth in order to grow their net worth and break through their set points. Wow. She is certified thinking into results consultant with the Proctor Gallagher Institute and the creator of the program's Act Your Way to Success, Your Genius Code Unlocked, and the upcoming Discover Greatness Within. Well, this is a pleasure, Barbara, to have you here and to be getting to know you more and your story. Uh, I just have to say that... um, for me, I'm so excited to, to know more about you and to, you know, just sort of dig a little bit and find out where you got, how you got from your beginnings to now and all the in-between. So, um, and that you serve so many people in such a positive way. And I know that wasn't an easy path for you, um, that, you know, it, it started out one way and for many of us, like it does, and you ended up doing something completely was completely different, but the, you know, looking back, you probably thought everything I've done got me ready for this. So if you would um, tell me a little bit about the first part of your life where you were really working on your career and you were trained in uh, theater, right? That's right. Yeah. 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 So give me a little bit about that. Okay, great. Well, thank you for having me, Elizabeth. It's a, an honor to be here. And uh, I started as, you know, a young person wanting nothing more than to act, sing, dance, and, you know, just scream from the rooftops. And along the way, I did a lot of performing as a young person in all the school plays and, you know, extracurricular activities. And then I decided to study theater in college. And um, I went on to get my bachelor's in theater, but with a specialization in drama and education. So I knew that to supplement, you know, the in-between times, I had to have some other kind of, you know, certification. So I taught and I taught about 20 to 25 drama classes a week. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. That is a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. But and I was, while I was doing that, I had a theater company in San Francisco and I was producing and directing shows in the evening, as well as directing for other theater companies. I pretty much decided to stop performing when I was 22, 23. I just didn't have the mindset to, to cope with, um, you, you know, it was a me too generation at that time. Yeah. You know, and um, I just didn't have the ability to cope with the business side of it. So I decided to go more into the teacher, director, you know, have a little bit more control over my choices. And also I was determined to work with actors and to treat them with respect. So 
Great. That was a big impetus for me wanting to be a director so that, you know, actors felt um, that they were a piece of the collaboration, you yeah. know, and a big piece of it. So, um, and I had great success there. I had a show that went to the Kennedy Center and, you know, but I realized at that time I was not financially succeeding. It was, you know, the struggling theater mentality, the artist that was, you know, I'll give everything and anything for nothing in order to do my craft, you know? So I was doing teaching like 25 drama classes a week, producing and directing for my own theater company, directing for other theater companies. And I was also touring in a Shakespeare company where I was acting in it, directing it and managing it. So it was like total madness. I was just, you know, averaging four to five hours sleep a night. And, um, and then I just woke up one day and just said, this is madness. This is, you know, I can't continue this. And, um, my, my late husband and I decided that we would make a move to Los Angeles, but I applied to UCLA and I went to graduate school to get my master's in directing, thinking that, you know, three years in graduate school was going to be easier than the previous 10 years of my life. And I was wrong. (laughs) That's what I hear. (laughs) You know, I still average like four to five hours sleep a night in that program. Mm-hmm. but uh, it was really a great program. And, but the, you know, my intention was to teach at the university level at that mm-hmm. point so that I could have more security and stability and, uh, and still continue doing what I love to do. So I applied to over 250 universities after I graduated and I did not get one reply. Wow. And this is after having a 10 year career in theater, having successes, you know, and then having a master's degree and not one university. At that time, there was uh, tenure, tenureship was really strong. And, you know, theater departments were growing smaller, not larger. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't, there just wasn't the opportunity. And I, you know, searched for a year and just went in and out of different temp jobs, part-time jobs going, now what, what's next? And I was fortunate to be selected to work with the Olsen twins as their personal acting coach. Mm -hmm. So I worked with them for 10 years. Wow. That's great. You know, Uh it was great. It was really a great gig, as we say. Mm-hmm. You know, I traveled the world and, um, and then I started my own acting academy for young professionals. And I realize now that what I was really teaching a lot of my babies, I call them because they're now big stars. A lot of them are big stars, but what I was teaching them was mindset. I was teaching them how to work through mistakes, how to work through failure, how to work through judgment, how to work through, you know, somebody else's judgment of, of oneself. And it was that that really enabled them to be in the business. Right. Because this is a tough business to be in. We all know that. Yeah. And so in a way, you were able to teach them resilience. Yes. You were able to teach them how to, to bounce back and to continue on with, with what they're doing. I think that is amazing. So, so go ahead. Go. Yeah. Thank you. You know, what, what I did was I had them play the part of every um, role on a set, for example. So I had them play the part of the director. I had them play the part of the critic in the audience. I had them play the cameraman. I had them play the assistant director. So every time somebody did a scene, we rotated all the roles. Yes. You know? And um, so that they were able to see what it took 
in order to create something like a movie or a play so that, you know, they weren't just considering themselves the actor, you know, and worried about themselves. And I think once you have a bigger map view, a worldview, uh-huh. you know, then you can start to understand and not take things so personally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? So, and I wish I had been taught that myself. You know? I think we all need to learn how to grow a thicker skin. Yeah. <laughs> it would just be really helpful. Yeah. You know? um, it's just that kind of going out in the world and learning, you know, well, maybe that idea, I was so in love with that idea or that thought or that plan. Yes. And it's just not working. And some people, it's sort of, they'll be dragged behind the horse before they'll let go of that idea. And others learn that I'm going to let go of that idea, but not myself and what I bring. That's the difference there. Don't you agree? I do. I totally agree. Yes. And, you know, even though um, I was working with the twins and then there was more abundance and more financial abundance for me, I look back now and I still see that it wasn't what I deserved, you know, that I really deserved more than what I was receiving, but I didn't understand my own value and I didn't really know my self-worth. Yeah. You know, so um, I was, I started out not being paid much more than a hairstylist or a makeup artist. And yet I was responsible for a whole lot more, mm-hmm. you know, and I was almost doing more than the director was doing. And then when I also directed one of their videos, I was paid half what the average male was paid. See, now if you had had if you had had someone like yourself working with you, you know what I mean? At that time, how you could have shaped things differently. And I think that that's just so important to know how it's really good to, to look to a mentor or a coach or someone to help you because you had like the golden ring. You were really doing something pretty amazing, Yes, but you had no idea, you know, really what you could be asking for it. You know, you just, you were immersed in it and really looking back now, hindsight is 2020, of course. Yeah. Yeah. But it's one of those things where um, we really have to know our value. And sometimes you need someone who can tell you from the outside saying, Hey, I think you need to ask for a little bit more or hold a boundary there. So I think it's very important. So please. um, Yeah. Yeah. You know, and to that point, I didn't even realize, like I could have hired a manager you know, to negotiate all my contracts for me, but I was of the mindset, you know, I could do it myself. Oh my gosh. Right. Right. Oh my gosh. Why pay somebody, you know, for something I already have, Mm -hmm. you know, and that, and I just didn't realize that I just was in a very small, limited viewpoint and, you know, asking for help was always a difficult thing for me not realizing, not even understanding that there were coaches, not even understanding mentorship, mm-hmm. you know, was the do it yourself because I had pretty much lived my life, you know, coming out of a family and a community that didn't even understand why I had the ambitions that I had or the right. desires that I had, you know, and why do you want more? <laughs> you know? So it was just, you know, and I, I moved 3000 miles away you know, to be in the industry that I loved, but I just didn't have a lot of the tools or the mindset, primarily the mindset, you know, so that the journey for me then became um, the last year that I was the last project actually that I worked on with the twins was just before they went off to college. And so that was, that gig was wrapping up Mm -hmm. and I was um, perimenopausal 
I was questioning, you know, what was next? Do I want to continue doing this in my life? Um, And just the, because the whole search for the next gig, search for the next job, search, you know, was, you know, I was getting tired. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I directed my own um, short film and wrote it and produced it. And my late husband helped me with that. And just as we released that short film, Three months later, my husband died suddenly. Yes. Just devastating. Yeah, it was devastating. It was two months before our 25th wedding anniversary. And we had pretty much worked side by side, you know, most of our lives together. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then I just was, I I totally collapsed. I just was, you know, not in a position to, um, to motivate anybody. Right. You know? And, but what I really saw was that I didn't know how to love myself. I didn't know how to ask for help and that I place so much importance on the success of my clients Mm. and that, you know, if my client, my students were having success, that meant I was successful, Mm -hmm. but without them, I didn't feel successful. Right. Right. You know? And so there were some things that what you had to bring to the world like diamonds, but they were sort of in the rough because there was things, the way that you were operating wasn't um, healthy for you. Uh, And and then add to it the devastating, you know, loss of your husband. That's a hard stop right there. I mean, how do you go on? So I'm sure you had to take time to just really grieve and process. And it makes us sometimes these things in life make us stop so hard. And we think, I cannot believe this. I don't know if I can handle this pain or this disappointment, but it seems to me that, that, that it's almost, we have to, to go through these things in order to really dig down deep, take the deep dive and and start really looking. So, you know, that's been my experience and, and people that I've spoken to. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't realize that, um, it, that kind of wasn't enough, you know, about a year later, I, um, and and what people don't realize is when your spouse passes, you know, it's your whole life that you're used to, right? That you don't wake up to the same day. You don't go to bed in the same way. You don't ask, you know, what do you want to do for dinner? You don't have that partner, you know, what movie do you want to go to? It's, it's just, it all disappears. Right. And along with that disappears, the retirement dreams, the dreams of travel, the dreams of, you know, moving somewhere else, all of that just vanishes. And, um, and at the same time that one is grieving, you know, we're having to deal with daily life, paying bills, things that people say that they're just Mm -hmm. not conscious of. Right. You know, right. And um, so I was going through a lot of that, you know, it was like in my book, True Love, True Self, I have the butterfly on the cover, right? It's that, right. you know, I was the caterpillar who then was in a hole in the cocoon in a whole lot of muck and goo. Yeah. And dark. Yeah. yeah. It was really, yeah. you know, and, uh, and a year after I lost my husband, I found his mother dead. Oh, in her apartment. And then I was, you know, I was just traumatized. Mm -hmm. And then shortly after that, my father passed away. Suddenly my best friend passed away. And then my brother-in-law died jumping out of a plane and his parachute didn't open. Oh my gosh. And he was the diving instructor. And so the kid diving with him also passed in the accident. And so, 
that was the big, like, you know, it was devastating to lose the love of my life. Yes. And, and like you said, the disappointment and then why, why me? And, you know, being on a trajectory of, I was always a very positive, happy person. Right, right. You know, and then to have four more subsequent, you know, smacks, you know. <sighs> trauma, was, trauma. trauma, it, yeah. it really, it really took me deep, you know, really yeah. took me very, very deep, but it took me deep into a lot of self-sabotage, um, a lot of self-loathing, uh, just, you know, and then that was when I understood the perfectionist in me was killing me. You know what? That is so profound that you just said that, because I think a lot of people go that route. They yeah. just start beating themselves up and, and saying, why, why me? And, oh, I'm just not good enough, or I'm not enough or what have you. Mm-hmm. And it's that perfectionism that you yeah. just said, you just hit it right on. I, I so agree with that. Yeah. 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 And that was really, that's why, you know, and I notice I do work with a lot of perfectionists, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and that it's crippling. It's just crippling, you know, but um, there's one thing to strive for excellence, but as a mentor of mine, you know, encouraged me, he says something is, is good until it's improved. Yes. And you can always improve things, but I think I make a habit because we all have a bit of perfectionism in us and I'll just laugh and say, okay, that was a fail. And I'll just laugh and I'll acknowledge it. And that's okay. It's okay. And so I'm going to just go do something over here because that didn't work. (laughs) And I think if we're able to be resilient again, um, that's resilience of, all right, it doesn't mean that I'm not enough. It just means that that effort there wasn't working. It's not the right thing, but I'm going to go over here and give this a try, or maybe I'll rest a bit and just let it all settle. And maybe I mean, that's in itself so important. The fact that you were made to so stop and get really quiet, I'm sure, because you are serving so many. And I think that it just, it just, um, the universe or whatever was really working to to train you. And I'm so sorry for all of your loss. I mean, that's huge. I mean, so sad. Um, But look at you now. And, and where did you go from there? What, what got you? from that dark place and moving up and into where you are now? Well, you know, I think basically because I really didn't experience depression most of my life, Mm -hmm. you know? And so when I went through this, I didn't have tools. Right. So my biggest tool was alcohol, Mm -hmm. you know, and I had never been a drinker. You know, I was an occasional weekend drinker, right? but I was really, you know, drinking maybe about three to four cosmopolitans a night. Yeah. You know, so I went that route for about three years, yeah. you know, and I don't, I, just, I don't think you're unique in that. I think a lot of people do go that route because yeah. it just, that it's too painful. And so, yeah. 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 And now I understand that, you know, mm-hmm. I understand that choice. I understand, you know, there's basically all of this led me to a deeper understanding of judgment. And I live my life as best as I can to release judgment as quickly as I can, mm-hmm. um, you know, doing any kind of judgment detox. And, you know, it's most of my clients that I work with, I start with, you know, where's the judgment because the judgment is only a reflection of a part inside of ourselves that we're not accepting. Yes. 
Yes. You know, and so from there, I um, I started working with my hands. I started doing pottery, and I when and it was the only thing that got me out of bed in the morning was to go to a pottery class, because I pretty much from drinking all night, you know, and waking up to panic attacks, and then sleeping till one o'clock in the afternoon. Um, somebody mentioned that there was a pottery shop that school just around the corner from where I live. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, you know, I got in the car and I went and investigated and then I went to that class every week and I was there at nine o'clock in the morning. And I started to see that because I had lost my memory, Elizabeth, I mean, six months after the loss of my husband, my mother asked me, what was my, um, no, I asked my mother, what was my grandmother's name? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she said, you don't remember your grandmother's name. And I was very close to my grandmother. Mm-hmm. And I said, I don't remember Nan's name. And she said, Barbara, you were named after her. Oh my gosh. You know, like that's how checked out I was. Yeah. And then, but when I was on the wheel, it was like my second class where I got to be on the wheel. I graduated from hand building to being on the wheel. Mm-hmm. And it was like at that time that I could see just the clay moving around and around and it stilled my mind because I was in post-traumatic stress Mm -hmm. and I couldn't stop looping my husband passing in front of me. I just couldn't stop looping seeing all, all the deaths. Right. And so, but the, the clay centered me. And in that moment I had peace and then I was making a little teapot. And as I was making that teapot, I painted it the colors of the rainbow. And I had a memory of when I was eight years old. I used to go out to the river. And I used to go into the water and I used to look for clay in the water, mm. sticky clay. Yeah. And I used to pull it out of the water and pick out all the little pebbles. And I would make little teapots and paint them the colors of the rainbow. Oh my gosh. And I started to, my memory started to come back. Yeah. You know, and then from there, um, somebody invited me to be a part of their healing center Mm -hmm. and it was my hypnotherapist at the time. And so I created a pottery studio and, um, and then I started just, you know, really looking at the gift of clay and the gift of healing through clay. Mm -hmm. And then the, my, my hypnotherapist recommended that I go to the university of Santa Monica in a program called spiritual psychology. And so in that program, I had no intention of coaching. I just had the intention of healing myself. Mm-hmm. And there were all kinds of ideas in there that I was angry about. And so I, I didn't really experience a lot of my own anger because I didn't know who to be angry at. Mm-hmm. I really didn't know, you right. know. And, um, and so that started my journey, my healing journey. You know, and then from there, I certified in a law of attraction program with a wonderful woman, Christy Whitman, mm-hmm. and no intention of coaching, except that we had to have clients and so many hours coaching people before we could certify. And I started realizing, oh my goodness, people are getting great results. That's great. Can I ask you something? Um, wanting to know. With the anger, I think a lot of people, when they hit hard stops in life or devastating loss, what have you, or they're just at a place where they they feel like they're at the precipice of a huge, you know, cliff or they're right there. And a lot of times they carry a lot of anger about that or with them. Um, And the healing does help. 
but um, I'm sure some of your resilience training really did help you as well. But was there a turning point where you just said, I have to let go of this anger, I have to let it go? Or did it slowly just ebb away? Like, how did you deal with that? I think that it was a, a really a time frame, you know, that it yeah. was because the anger would still pop up. Yeah. You know, somebody would say something and I would still be angry, you know? Yeah. And I think for a couple of years I was really in victim mode, but I also had a secondary gain, you know, because people started reaching out and helping me and I wasn't somebody who asked for help, like I right. said earlier. And so, and I also thought that if I sounded well, that people, I attached this meaning that people would think I wasn't in love with my late husband anymore, that because people started to say, move on very, very soon after. Right. And trying to introduce me to other people very soon on, you know, Mm -hmm. afterward. And, um, and then I, so I started to be more of the victim saying, I'm not well today. My voice would change. I wouldn't let anybody think that I felt better, you know, and this kind of kept me in a pattern for a while of people helping me, you know, and, um, and then it was like one day, you know, after my father died and, um, you you know, he passed the day after new year's and Mm -hmm. I opened up the curtains one day and I just said, I'm tired of being miserable. I'm just tired of being miserable. Yeah. But it didn't mean that I wasn't angry. Yeah. You know, and I think it was over time and overseeing that, you know, I had purpose, that I had use again to be here and that, you know, I could really help others grow themselves and, you know, and really step out. And for me, my passion is that if you're not in your truth, if you're lying to yourself, I'm going to point it out, you know, and because yeah. I know that I wasn't in my truth. I was really, I was living my life from the outside in. I was seeking approval from everybody. I had the nice girl syndrome, mm-hmm. you know, I wanted to please everybody. And, you know, if I could, you know, if see in anybody that they're not being kind to themselves, right. it's my mission and my passion to help people, you know, see how hard they're being on themselves and to start to love themselves. Wow. That's great. That's wonderful. And I feel like also too, with, with hurt and pain, um, we live with it almost like in a a, a overstuffed closet and then we have to decide, you know, this was a great memory or this served me well for this reason, but now I'm going to wish it well and say goodbye. Sort of like the Murray Kondo, you know, just sort of let it go. But we have to be ready. Like you can't let it go until you're ready to let it go. So you went through a series of courses and learning and people helping you. And then you're maybe it strengthened you enough to feel, okay, I can let this go. I can let this, this anger go or this, this hurt and pain, because it's always going to be there. But it's in a healthier space, obviously, for you now than it was then. So, yes. Yes. Um, and so then you found yourself coaching and helping others. And so that was a real turning point for you. But I know that you've gone on and really studied and um, have done some, some great, you know, work with um, Proctor Gallagher and all of that. So, so fill me yeah. as well. Yeah. You know, even though I started coaching, I still didn't have the business piece. Mm-hmm. You know, it still was, I was the one give, 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 and, mm-hmm. 
you know, asking for money was complicated. And again, that self-worth piece, you know, but what I understand now differently that Bob Proctor helped me see, it was in 2013 that I certified as a thinking into results consultant. And in that year, I doubled my practice and tripled my income. Yes. And that was because, you know, I didn't understand, like in all the studying I had done, I didn't understand the, the value of having a goal that you don't know how to do. And so the basis of the program is to go after the dream that you've always wanted or to go after something that you, you know, you want, but you don't know how to do, because as soon as you know how to do it, you're going to stay the same. You're just going to keep repeating the same habits, the same thoughts, the same Mm -hmm. actions, you know, and so going after a stretch goal, like I didn't even know the importance of having a goal. I just lived my life by default. I just lived my life by, oh, let's get the next gig. Let's get the next gig. I didn't live it by design. Yeah. And so once I started to really, you know, look at setting a time frame, going after something that scared me and excited me that I didn't know how to do, that's when all the, the paradigms, which are fixed ideas, limited belief systems, you know, that are your conditioning, your heritage, your DNA. And once you start going after something that you really, really want, mm-hmm. then the old patterns start to surface. They I agree. Right. Yeah. You know, to hold on to what they know, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're protecting us from change. Right? Yes. And there's two ways that we change. And one is through a traumatic event like I went through. Right. You know, like I did not choose that change. No. Right. And then the other way is through constant repetition of a new idea, because a belief is a thought that we just have over and over and over again, that we finally accept as the truth. We get patterned mm-hmm. into it. But the biggest component, so there was like this, the, it's called a C type goal, a stretch goal, right? Yeah. So that the paradigms, I didn't really understand how they were running the show. We think you know, our logical mind is in control. It's not. The subconscious mind with all the paradigms and the conditioning is running the show. Yes. Neuroscience is now showing 95% of it. And mm-hmm. so once those start to show up and you are aware of them, now you're at choice to change them. Yes. I love right? that. I love that. And that's what started to happen. But then the other big component, which runs everything, is self-image. Mm-hmm. So self-image, again, is, you know, are you the star of your own movie? Are you creating the character in your life that mm-hmm. you want to be? Or are you settling for who you already are? And then, you know, I like to say to people, you don't know who you really are and you never will until you discover the parts of yourself you haven't yet met. Mm -hmm. So how are you going to discover those parts? If you don't make a decision to climb up a mountain, you know, and meet those parts of yourself that are struggling, you know, against an obstacle or meet the part of yourself that can, has, as you said, the resilience to get over the boulder, you know, test your metal, test your metal kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and be, willing to show the world your authentic true self because we play it here I am in this role and here I am in this role but a lot of times I think women especially we play so many roles we forget who we are or we lose touch with who we truly are and if we're going to live our true authentic selves we have to know exactly deeply who we are and what we bring and so it sounds to me like that's this really the the 
roots of what you are, are, are serving others and, hel- and helping them to learn. It sounds to yeah. Me. Yes. Well, and you know, and the thing that Bob does more than anybody I've ever worked with is he combines business and spirituality unlike anybody I've ever met. Yeah. You know, so it's not about let, just because you're focusing on business or growing business or becoming more prosperous, right. there's still the, the spiritual aspect. There's still the loving, you know, kindness aspect mm-hmm. and the self image piece. Sometimes I say, you know, it's, it's an evolution. You know, I wasn't comfortable putting on a suit, you know, but I started to imagine working in corporate and what would that look like? Well, who am I being? Mm-hmm. And then all my acting background and all my directing background started coming back and started coming into play. Who am I being as the character of my future? Yeah. Wow. Right. Yeah. So how does that character talk? How does that character walk? How does that character dress? And it doesn't feel in the beginning, like you're in your own skin. It Mm -hmm. does feel like if you're, you know, being an imposter, it does feel like you're pretending, Mm -hmm. but I like to say to people, you have to pretend because you're just going to keep repeating what you already know. And you won't discover that other part of your character. You won't discover the evolution, you know, of the picture of the person you want to become. So I like to say that, you know, here's your dream up here and here's where you're at. And, you know, we hear all the time, you have to come from the dream. Well, what does that mean? You have to come from the dream. You have to really start acting the dream and you have to start really being it now as much as you can. And so a lot of people will stop doing that because they feel that they're faking it till they make it. But I say, you know, play with it. Use your imagination. What do we do as children? You know, we put on a tutu and we imagine, you know, that we're being a ballerina, but that's not enough. You can't just put on a tutu and think you're going to be a ballerina. Mm -hmm. You try on shoes and then you put on these shoes that you just love and you feel like, oh, I can walk in these for a bit and I'm just going to go ahead. And I know they're not usually my style, but I so love these. So my friends and people on the outside might say, why are you wearing those shoes? And, and but the thing is, is that you say, because I just love them. And so that's what I've said to a couple of people I've mentored, just like try on those shoes and walk in them. And when people call you out because they don't want you to change, even if it's something that you're doing that is fantastic, they still don't want you to change. And so it's just, well, I'm just giving this, I love these shoes and I'm going to give this a try. And um, I'm exploring this and positive things because a lot of times it's the people on the outside too, that kind of want to keep us where we are at and not in a bad way. It's just, they don't, they're not comfortable with change. So if you're going off and doing something completely like a pivot, that's right. They they get super uncomfortable and there's got to be good lines to say, you know, I'm exploring this right now. I'm in between things right now. I'm trying on these shoes right now, or this really beautiful, you know, dress. So what have you? So I think uh, we have to be willing to pull up the courage within us and be able to say out loud, I'm going to give this a try. And it doesn't mean, and and it doesn't mean you have to win at it. It might be a little bit of, I have to get these tailored. This dress has to be tailored a little bit, but it's the courage. It's the courage. And um, I love Barbara that you have this spiritual sense. You have experience, life experience that is just profound and um, huge, I'm sure in your work. Um, But you also have this spiritual sense and then you, and you bring in the intellectual as well, which is, you know, the, the studies and um, the science that goes behind this. Yeah. Because um, 
I, everything you're saying, I agree with. And a lot of times when you, when, when another, when you're saying to a person, yeah, the higher consciousness or I'm doing this thing, they're like, well, that sounds woo woo. Well, no, there's actual science behind this. And I love that you've done that because it helps to validate everything that you're saying. And um, so let's do now. So you've come in, you've come into being a a coach and tell me about the people you serve and some of your success stories. I'm sure you have many, but what's especially exciting for you? Well, you know, through the thinking into results program, what I never expected was that I would have clients repeat the same program up to 10 and 13 times because the repetition, 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 but what I've discovered more than anything, it's the mentorship and the accountability. So I lead groups and the groups do really, really well through, even through these experiences and, you know, the, these times people are doing really well because they're staying on track, they're staying focused, they're pivoting. And Mm -hmm. I see people, you know, really grow financially and in a short period of time in three months that their lives completely change. And so, you know, from a lawyer who was fired to within a year, she was, you know, had a a client that was paying her 50,000 a month to now she's got her own firm. Wonderful. Wonderful. Very, very very short period of time. And, and, you know, it's not always money that people want, you know, it's from people who want to write a book. And in three months time, they have a book. I worked with a woman, 72 years old, Mary Grace, she's one of my favorite stories to tell that she said she wanted to lose weight. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know how to lose weight, you know how to hire a trainer, you know how to eat well. Mm -hmm. So we have to come up with a C type goal. So I probed a little bit to find out what her, you know, her interests were. And she was a fan of Ernestine uh, Shepard, who's a 86 year old bodybuilder. Mm -hmm. So I said, Mary Grace, how about signing up for a bodybuilding competition? And she said, I'm in. (laughs) Good for her. So at 72, she was at the gym at five o'clock in the morning. She bought her pink fuchsia bikini and her tanning spray, and she can hold a plank longer than her trainer now. (laughs) Oh, good. That's amazing. And then she said, and she's a coach and she, um, you know, she went to the university of Santa Monica as well. And she wanted to write a book for the last 25 years. And I said, so we need to find that C type goal. How about you invite, you know, 20 of your best friends to come over to your house and listen to your first draft in three months time. And she said, okay. And then I said, but it's not a C type goal until you send out the invitations. When are you sending out the invitations? She said, I'm going to do it on Monday. And within three months, she had the first draft of her book, you know, so it's really that accountability and owning, you know, responsibility for your choices, making a decision, Mm -hmm. but make it a committed decision. And what's going to hold you to the fire, right? What's going to keep you in the game. And as you were talking about with the science, you know, I've been studying neuroscience for the last eight years. I work with a doctor in Spain. He's a cardiologist and um, he does brainwave entrainment. So we study the unconscious layers of the brain and the mind. And we, you know, for me, it's hard to have faith in things unless I understand right down to nanos and quarks and tetraquarks what's going on. So I'm a real science geek. Yeah. And I would say like my greatest strength is that I have the ability to break things down for people so that they can understand. That's powerful because I think that's where people are are saying, well, I like what you're saying, but I'm not comfortable because I don't believe in all that woo woo stuff, but you're able to break it down into science and factual 
uh, evidence that this works. Mm-hmm. And so, so that gives them that door of, okay, I'm going to give this a try. And I love that um, you said in the beginning and you've said throughout that, you know, it's, it was getting the help. We, we start out in life and we think, I'm, not, I'm strong and I'm going to do this myself. And the asking for help is something that we have to become vulnerable and uh, we have to realize that we're human and um, humble and ask for help. And that's not a bad thing. It's like when someone is able to help another person, it helps them too. So it's a great thing to, to take on and do. And I love also too that you said the commitment. I, I think that if you don't commit to, I'm going to be there at this time, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to commit to this. Um, saying it is one thing, but actually having to show up and be accountable yeah. is huge. And I've seen that in growth, you know, in so many people. And um, they do it in school. You have to bring that assignment back. You have to come back and, you know, present this. It's how life is. And so when, when I don't know why we don't do that for ourselves more in our own personal growth. How am I going to, I'm going to find that circle. I'm going to find that coach. I'm going to yeah. find that person that's going to lift me up and support me. And um, I just think that uh, Barbara, our generation was more like a bootstraps, but I do think the generation yeah. after us and, you know, coming up, they're more open to getting some help and getting, you know, searching out the, the, the right people. And so I just really um, appreciate what you're doing and how you're serving others. And I love your stories and how people at any age can reset and pivot yeah. and that you help them, you help them get to that other side. And um, that's pretty powerful. Um, so your book, are you going to be writing another one or is this one still available or how, how can someone get a hold of your book if they want to? This one is still on Amazon, but I think it, it's out of print. So yeah. And, you know, it was written in two, then published in 2011. I'm in another book called 15 Stories, One Bob. Uh-huh. And that's, um, those are 15 of us, you know, who talk about how we changed our lives through working with Bob. And, okay. um, and so my story is, you know, the battle within the old self versus the new self. New self, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I'm also right now creating a new program called discover greatness within. And so that's really a combination with my partners of working on a total mind, body, spirit program. So it's a very holistic program where we're going to be talking not only mindset and spirituality, but also the physical part with through meditation and supplements and diet and detox. And so to really help people understand that there are three parts to our personality, right? Mm -hmm. So there's the mind part, the intellectual, there's the spiritual part, and then there's the physical part. And it's to get all three of those parts to be in alignment. Mm -hmm. So most people have either an interest in the body or an interest in spirituality or an interest, you know, in, the mind, right? But it's really getting the three parts aligned to become present and know that the present moment is where it all exists. Absolutely. And all of your experiences, like I said before, the mind and how you, your experiences in life and your spiritual, you're, you couldn't be better positioned for this. I mean, it's just fantastic. And, and what a gift, um, even, at this time in your life, would you say, wow, what a gift when you've gone through so much, but you really are positioned to do some, some great work for people. And I, I wish you the best thank you. and great success with your new program that you're working on. And thank you again, Barbara, for your time today and your wonderful story. And I wish you the oh, best. 
Thank you so much, Elizabeth. It's been a pleasure. Thank you again for listening. You can find links to any mentioned resources, mine and my guest social media, and more, all in the show notes at elizabethribbons.com. That's ribbons with one B. Enjoying the show? Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with a friend or coworker. Reviews and word of mouth is still the number one way to learn about new podcasts, so I appreciate it. Until next time.